And welcome to another edition of Match of the Week, an ongoing series within the Let Me Tell You Something umbrella of shows that covers a match from the wide history of professional wrestling and is discussed by your co-host Lorcan Mullen and your other co-host Simon Cross. So Simon, it was your pick this time. What are we watching for our viewing pleasure today? We are watching a PWG title match. Between former Undisputed Era member, Kyle O'Reilly, and former kind of on a hot streak in NXT, Ricochet. So what made you pick this match in particular? You seem keen to do a bit of Kyle O'Reilly viewing. That was the sense I got when you were searching around for matches. So my live, like as it went out, viewing of Kyle O'Reilly was during NXT's Undisputed Era time. And I've only mostly seen him do tag stuff. I did watch the Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly unsanctioned street fight match at, I can't remember what takeover it was. And that was fine, but fell into the traditional trap of a lot of uh, NXT matches of just being rather long. Uh, So I I just wanted to see Kyle as a singles, like in a non-WWE environment. I wanted to see what that actually looked like. Uh, And kind of the same with Ricochet, a man who... He's athletically insane, but it's just become a dude now. He's just a regular man. That's all he is. And then they now put him into some sort of romantic angle with Alia? think so. Like, I don't know. WWE's weird. Yeah, one or both of them could end up being released within a few weeks. We don't know from now. Yeah. So, one of the first things I wanted to do when I looked at this was look at the card itself. Because 2014 PWG... It's kind of ridiculous how stacked the the roster is. And if we just go through each of these people, where they are now or where they have been in the years since this show, it's almost across the board impressive. So the opening match was Rich Swan, who went to WWE as part of the 205 live cruiserweight scene. Yep. ACH, who became Jordan Miles, and, well... Mm. stuff there, and AR Fox, who's always kind of he's had a weird run in the Indies. Of before Leo Rush, he was sort of the guy who would appear and disappear as free, frequently. And on the other side, you got Bobby Fish, Chuck Taylor, and Johnny Gargano. Two now in AEW, one still in NXT at, mm-hmm. at time of recording. Then we had Adam Cole against Cedric Alexander. Hurt Business and Undisputed Era, you know, like they've both. Joined factions, one one with a lot more success than the other. <laughs> yep. Then we've got Trevor Lee and Chris Hero. This was after Chris Hero done his first NXT run as Cassius Ono. And before he came back for his second run. And Trevor Lee, of course, the, uh, the went on to become... Oh my god, I've forgotten his NXT name now. The guy who did the whole storyline with Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase. Cameron Grimes. Cameron Grimes, there we go. Here's where we sort of trip up a bit. The addiction with Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian against the world's cutest tag team of Candice LeRae and Joey Ryan. Yeah. They can't all be winners. No. (laughs) 
Then we had a four-way match between Brian Cage, Biff Busick. Only Lorcan. Uh, Tommaso Ciampa. And Yuha Nation, later to become Apollo Crews. Yep. Then we had a tag team match between Chris Sabin and Matt Seidel against the Young Bucks. And then it was this, Kyle O'Reilly against Ricochet. And then straight after this match, we had Kyle O'Reilly wrestle a second match against Roderick Strong. So I think other than AR Fox and Joey Ryan, I think every single person in that subsequently went to either WWE and or AEW. Yeah. So that just shows you how big a deal it was and how important it was to get seen by being on the PWG shows. And PWG, as much as anything, were popular for their music videos, for their DVD trailers. Mm. And I always said, if you go by the two spectrums of what indie wrestlers want to be doing when they do their moves, on one end you end up in a PWG music video, and on the other end you're in Botchamania. (laughs) That's kind of the two ends of the spectrum for this modern indie style of wrestling. Yeah. And it's so full of the popular indie moments of the... 2014 era in this match like one thing that was really popular in the early 2010s after the apron bumps which you don't really get any of in this match actually i was thinking about although those were popular in pwg that was really something kevin steen and el generico popularized yeah but what you got in this from ricochet were the deadlifts those are very popular things to do at this time Great way to showcase his strength. And it was a great spot in this match, to be fair. Again, it's one of those things that doesn't make sense. Surely every lift in pro wrestling should be a deadlift. Yes. <laughs> it, it's one of those things you have to accept as part of like, the whole mm. kit and caboodle, though, isn't it? But what they had at the start was also the classic PWG stuff of there being comedy spots for the first few minutes. Yeah. Even in the world title match, which is what this was. But you know what? Even though the comedy was quite cheesy in terms of what they were doing, it didn't feel cheesy. It, it just felt like two people just taking the piss more out of each other than like a nudge and a wink to the camera. Like, oh, well, we're having fun. I mean, PWG crowds, again, like so many wrestling crowds of this nature, are always on that fine line between being fun and being insufferable. Yeah. And PWG in 2014 was a very hip place to go to. Uh, because it was in Reseda, California, you genuinely got quite a few Hollywood, maybe not A-listers, but stars. I swear there's a guy who plays the guy with the sideburns in Community. I swear I clocked him in the front row. Starburns? Yeah, I swear I clocked Starburns in the front row of this. I, I the, the one I was most interested in the front row was Kenny Obata. There was a man that looked kind of like Kenny Omega if it, if life hadn't turned out well oh, for right, him in okay. his late 50s in the front row. See, knowing you, Lorcan, I'm like, oh, God, is that an actor I should have heard of? <laughs> <laughs> I'll see if I can get a screenshot, if I remember, and I'll I'll send it to you and I'll put it on the Facebook posts or something. Yeah, but I am like 85 to 90% sure Starburns is in the front row. Well, the most high-profile person I've heard that went to PWG shows was, I don't know, if, I imagine maybe Joey Ryan was his favourite wrestler, uh, James Franco. I think Sofia Vergara was at one of them. Yes, Sofia Vergara did go to one of them with a with a partner, Joe Manginella, Mangiello. Oh, him. Man- yeah, 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 yeah. He's like he's a lifelong wrestling fan. He wants to do a Macho Man Randy Savage biopic. Yeah. 
The only problem with that is that he's actually bigger than Macho Man Randy Savage, which is usually the opposite when it comes to wrestler biopics, you know? He's done a guest spot on a Raw episode once. To like... Yeah, yeah, he did it with with Arnie, I think. It's a movie it? they were hyping, yeah. So, yeah, he's he's just a general, like, he's the most handsomest, buffest nerd there's ever been. Yeah. He's, like, famously founded this, like, big Hollywood Dungeons & Dragons night that, like, at least one of the showrunners of Game of Thrones attends. The big show used to go to. I think Vince Vaughn went to it. Oh, that's <laughs> cool. Uh, Vin Diesel's massive on D&D, isn't he? So he might yeah, been. yeah. I don't know if he's got a rival one, maybe. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, that was all Vin Diesel did before he became a movie star. He was a bouncer, and on nights where he wasn't bouncing, he was playing Dungeons and Dragons. It's not a bad life, is it? Not a bad life. He, apparently, when he made the Chronicles of Riddick, he got Judy Dench to play a game. <laughs> nah, that, that, that's something I love about Judy. She is clearly one of those girl, like girls, women, who is like, yeah, I'll give it a bash. Uh, but if there was one PWG attendee that I wish I could have seen at the show, it would have been uh, Gillian Jacobs from Community. Oh, yeah. She was a big fan of the, the flippy stuff, as she was apparently told. <laughs> that was the things she liked. But she was like, I saw her in an interview with that guy, Sam Roberts. Oh, yeah. And I think she was like listing off Kevin Steen, Al Generico, all those sort of guys. And the funny thing was that her community co-star, Alison uh, Brie, they subsequently filmed a wrestling show at that venue for an episode of Glow. Oh, cool. Well, we'll have to save it for an episode of um, Silver Screen Vision. We'll have to do Glow at some point. And that's the moment where her friend slash rival in it is uh, Perry Gilpin's character. Or is it Betsy yeah. Betty Gilpin? But it was a Gilpin, I know that. One of the Gilpins. That's the moment she realizes that pro wrestling's a soap opera, and she gets it. Yeah. And the funny thing with that venue is, first of all, it's so absolutely crammed in. There's no more than, like, 300 people there, max. Mm. But it was the hottest ticket in town at that stage. And I think it was a place to go to. It was a place to be seen. There was actually two people that were really bothering me. They were on the hard cam, and it was some swish dude with a black shirt and a jacket, and a blonde woman that he was with, and they were co- constantly trying to go to the bar. I <laughs> don't know why, but they just caught my eye because they were stood up and just not really paying as much attention. But the thing with it, the crowd is there's there's an impressive amount of crowd control, I think, in the wrestlers, in that they're engaging with the crowd, but they can't let the crowd overtake the match. Yeah, and I will say that whilst it was comical at the start, and the crowd were doing all these funny little chants that may or may not have been that entertaining. When they wanted to go serious, they went serious, and the crowd weren't just chanting all the time, and they were getting engrossed in the action. Yeah. But it is funny. You are just essentially seeing in those music videos the highlights of matches that are almost all highlights. There's no real storyline to PWG shows. There's characters, but there's no epic narrative. There are ne- there's never been an angle at a PWG show outside of being attacked post-match or pre-match or something. Mm. Well, yeah, but within this like match, not, it was obviously it's not rich in storytelling, but it had a very clearly defined story. Flippy Man versus Man Who Wants to Ground Flippy Man. But Flippy Man Who Does Have Other... Strings to His Bow. Yeah. And that's the good thing about Ricochet. He was at this point really becoming the complete wrestler. You know, he had a fantastic look, great physique. Like, absolutely, they both got phenomenal physiques. Yeah, Ricochet looks more shredded then than he does now. Like with rest with wrestlers these days, it's typically the older they get, the more shredded they get somehow. Like 
Like they have to, they have to like pay stricter attention to their diet in some cases. In some cases, I was going to say Chris Jericho's gut would say something different. Okay, well that's an outlier. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's, a lot of the time, to be fair, you go on the road and you get you can't help but get a bit softer when you're driving to venues and yeah. the only places that are open are McDonald's and Applebee's yeah. or whatever there are. So it is a lot harder to stay shredded on the road. Maybe Ricochet's deliberately gone down that way for other reasons. You don't know. It is weird, though, when you look at it. Like, Ricochet, I think we've said it in the past, if the WWE really understood what the marketplace was looking for, and it seemed like they knew with trying to present Ricochet as the WWE equivalent of a Marvel superhero, yeah, you genuinely, I think, could make a case that Ricochet could be your top star in a 2021 WWE. I, th- I think there's an element of... Vince sort of having a uh, particular penchant for superhero gimmicks rather than hit them trying to plug into like the cool Marvel thing. Like you look at like how quickly you got a cape onto Neville. It's like if you flip, you've got to be like a like sort of you, you are stuck in a very stereotypical view of what a comic book character is in Vince's mind. And you're not allowed to really like break out from that. Pac's presentation as a real-life superhero was very different to the Hurricanes' presentation as a real-life superhero. If you want to go caped wrestler versus caped wrestler. True. There was a bit of a generational gap there. But if you look at Ricochet, that's very much what's happened. But I don't even mean necessarily dressing him up as a superhero, but just giving him the characteristics of a Marvel superhero. Because one thing that's pretty obvious in this show is that he's charismatic and fun and funny. Yeah. He's got a sense of humour. He's got a sense of timing. Yeah. And he backs up with a good look. So if you gave him good little Marvel superhero-esque quips to give on the mic, it's not just being a Marvel superhero in presentation and moves, but actually in characteristics. The reason the Marvel films are huge hits are almost always tied into, more than anything, the characters that they make you care about. That's why the Eternals failed fairly miserably, because there's no one that I saw in the Eternals that were like... I can't wait to see that guy again in the next movie or that woman again in the next movie. Whereas you had that when you saw Ant-Man, you were like, I look forward to seeing this character interact with all these other characters I like. When you saw Guardians of the Galaxy, I look forward to whenever these guys interact with the Earth-based superheroes in the Avengers. You know, I was like, I was looking forward to seeing what Rocket Raccoon talking to Tony Stark was going to be like. Yeah. The key difference there is in Marvel, you obviously get well-written and well-rounded characters, whereas what Vince does with people who he perceives to be superhero-like, in my opinion, is give them a very stereotypical, what people think a 70s-style like comic book character would act like, rather than you know a fleshed-out, well-rounded character that we do see in the MCU. For the most part. Well, we're seeing the more fleshed out, rounded characters now in AEW. And what are getting people excited in AEW is these different characters that they set up in different places suddenly coming together. How much excitement was there when CM Punk and Eddie Kingston suddenly started interacting with each other? Yeah. How much excitement was there when Orange Cassidy suddenly crashed a Chris Jericho segment Mm. or something and setting up those two against each other? How much excitement will there be when Miro encounters... Well, you, for you, Tomohiro Ishii. Oh, when, oh, baby. When Miro encounters Jungle Boy. 
when Darby Allen encounters uh, Malachi Black. Yeah. Or uh... or Cody Rhodes encounters good storytelling. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. The co- the Cody verse is the Cody verse. Let let's let's leave. It. We we don't have anywhere near enough time for that right now. Let's talk more about. But like, like I said, the match doesn't really have a lot of nutritional value to it to me. I do get where you're coming from. It tells the most basic, clear story of striker with submissions against high flyer who can strike and has uh, impressive strength. Too. Yeah. Did the Kyle O'Reilly of 2014 look in any way different? Well, obviously he looked very different to the heel undisputed era, goofy, comedian. I mean, you know, there was more comedy in the NXT Kyle O'Reilly in many ways than there was in this PWG Kyle O'Reilly. Yeah. It's more that I just haven't seen a lot of Kyle as a singles. And that's partly like my NXT like watching habits, partly my lack of knowledge of Kyle really prior to well i don't really watch it so what is like denim jacketed kyle up to these days other than hanging out with that caveman dude i know but like what's his is he more of a brawler now or or what like because obviously adam cole turned him angry i I don't really know he hasn't really wrestled a lot in the last few weeks well nxt 2.0 is its whole that's again another kettle of fish where universe is being reset at present and I feel Kyle is a relic of the old universe in yeah. certain people's eyes. I don't think they know what their plan is. And I don't think they know, if rumours are to be believed, how long they'll have him for anyway. Yeah. Do you suspect that it's more likely we're going to see Kyle O'Reilly versus Ricochet in, a, in an AEW ring than we will a WWE ring? Yes. Yes. I think if this match happens again, I don't see it happening in, uh, in any format in the E. The problem is, where does Kyle O'Reilly fit in in AEW now? Where does Ricochet fit in in AEW? Where it's not well, just doubling up on, on people that already have those roles in the company. Is he is Ricochet going to be the high flyer more than Puck? Is he is he going to be the high flyer more than Dante Martin? Or is he going to maybe be relegated more to a position like Matt Seidel as the guy who's the more experienced veteran? who helped build up these younger stars like Dante Martin. There's a potential role that Kyle can easily slot into. But is that slot being set up for Daniel Garcia in AEW? Ah, well, no, no, no. There's a lot of Daniel Garcia in Kyle O'Reilly. What I'm referring to specifically is Cole and Bobby Fish's sort of like layers of interaction already. You could easily plug Kyle into that. Yeah, but that would be really weird for Kyle O'Reilly. It's so funny because 2014 was really Kyle O'Reilly's coming out period where he was no longer second fiddle to Adam Cole, because they'd risen up together. Yeah. Kyle O'Reilly versus Adam Cole was literally the first match on the first Evolve Wrestling show. They had that Future Shock tag team where they were like the protégés of Davey Richards, and they were being presented as like the future of the promotion, but Adam Cole rose quicker than Kyle O'Reilly, and Kyle O'Reilly was more put in like a tag team situation with... Who was his Red Dragon tag team partner now? Bobby Fish. And they had good runs in Ring of Honor and New Japan in the junior tag ranks and everything. And Kyle O'Reilly did get to do the Best of the Super Juniors final around this time. And Ricochet also won his Best of the Super Juniors around this time. Mm. But this 2014 was when he like he went over Adam Cole for the PWG world title. He went over Adam Cole in Ring of Honor for the Ring of Honor world title. Although he did then lose it back to... Adam Cole at Wrestle Kingdom only a few weeks later. But it was like that, that final ascension. But that was because 
Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish then went over to the WWE a few months before Adam Cole did. Yeah. But they were really just there sort of waiting and waiting their turn and kind of losing until Drew McIntyre, you know, they, they set up the ambush. But then after all that time of being sort of second fiddle to Adam Cole, he goes back to being second fiddle to Adam Cole again for a number of years in in NXT and does a great job with it. Mm. But then as with the 2014 time, come 2020, he's finally getting to go over Ad- Adam Cole again. And Adam Cole heads off to AEW after putting over Kyle O'Reilly for the last time. But now Kyle O'Reilly's kind of lost in the middle of nowhere because the NXT that he was being built to be a key player in is not there anymore. Yeah. And now you're saying, well, he should come over to AEW and reunite the Undisputed Era. Well, it's pretty obvious that Adam Cole will be positioned as the top guy if they did that again. Yeah, like, that. whilst that is true... Kyle O'Reilly deserves more than being, not the Marty Jannetty to Adam Cole, Shawn Michaels, but being the Christian to Adam Cole's edge, maybe. Even though he was the face and Adam Cole's the heel. But you get where I'm coming from as far as status goes. I do take the argument. But I do think in terms of, like, oven-ready storylines, that's right there. I'm more excited with the idea of Mount Rushmore reuniting than the Undisputed Era reuniting. Yeah, you could go either way with it. And Kyle doesn't have to be part of the Undisputed, like, they don't have to reform it. But I think that's just what the natural progression would be. He doesn't have to last that long, and then he can do his own thing. Like, he wouldn't be there for a one-shot, necessarily. I do love, like, New Japan as well. With all that forbidden door. There are options out there. He could go to Impact and do stuff with Josh Alexander if he wanted. Yeah. But that's not necessarily what Kyle O'Reilly deserves. He could do Bloodsport as well for a little bit. Well, yeah, but Bloodsport's not going to be your, your bread and butter. That's going to be something that anyone can kind of do. And he won't fit in that world because I do like his more shoot-fighting-inspired look. And you can tell that he is much more legitimately trained. Yeah in the move sets and everything like the way that he knows how to throw a kick and how to incorporate his submission grappling into this match. Yeah. I mean, obviously I can't speak for him, but I I can imagine he's a guy who like John Moxley would want to scratch that particular itch if he had the opportunity to do so. Yeah, of course he would. Of course he would. But my point is more, I'm more more talking about how he incorporates that into his match and, and work, but works within the indie style. So he can't do the, space flying tiger drop that ricochet does in this match he does a sequence of a yeah. top rope hurricane rana into a space flying tiger drop into a 450 splash uh was, was it a springboard 450 splash as well I it think. was a springboard 450 yeah yeah, yeah. that's not what kylo riley's gonna do kylo riley then beats him in the next spot when ricochet goes up for a shooting star press he captures him into a triangle choke and then transitions into a cross arm breaker. What I do like as well is that he captures the leg. Yeah. So it's almost like to give a, give him less of an option of being able to escape. He can't reach his foot to the rope or like snapping a turkey's wishbone. Basically, well, it's, like, it's all like when Kurt Angle added the heel hook to his ankle lock. Oh, the grapevine. Yeah, you had nowhere else to go at that point. Yeah, and of course he had been working on his arm and shoulder throughout the first part of the match as well. So that was sort of the payoff, but it wasn't like. Hiroshi Tanahashi just persistently going after it over everything else, be it the knee or the arm or whatever. So it yeah. wasn't like that level of limb work, which is the sort of limb work I really like. But they, there's always that sense of it's PWG. We've got it. It's like how in a movie, see, like in an action movie, they say every ten pages there's got to be an action sequence. Yeah, it's like it's PWG. So every three or four minutes there's got to be an intricate move exchange sequence. 
that there are several in this match and they're really good, but it is like weirdly this is as limiting to its audience and what's expected of it in a way as to what the WWE is in their in-house style of wrestling. I see what you're saying. Now, this produces matches that are more exciting, but they have that flaws within them to what I like in my wrestling, you know? Yeah, I get it. But I can get... I I imagine seeing this live in that crowd, in that intimate an atmosphere, and seeing Ricochet and Kyle O'Reilly do something as amazing as a top rope Hurricane Rana into a Space Flying Tiger up into a Springboard 450, and seeing it there right in front of you. Is pretty phenomenal, and that's what PWG was always more about. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, the, the the audio quality of our conversation is better than the audio quality of the commentary in this match. <laughs> I view PWG very much as just like plug and play fun, and for me, this this match ticks that box. Like, it's almost out of continuity to wrestling. <laughs> yeah, but for for a company that relied largely on DVD sales as its main revenue stream, I think that's the style it had to sort of have. If you don't have a weekly TV product and barely anyone, uh, and the venue you run is they, like... They didn't have a monthly product. They were like yeah. run maybe 10 shows a year at most at this point. Yeah, so just make it wild and wacky fun with simple angles. And that's what their style is. So if I equated my like taste of wrestling to a night of drinking, this would be like a uh, Jaeger bomb or... <laughs> like a, a really like fruity cocktail that's like a very luminous color. I couldn't base my night around it, but I'll definitely try one if I fancy it. It's like strapedoing a WKD blue or an aftershock. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. Or a uh, Smirnoff Ice, yeah. There was a kid once in one of our house parties, you know, when you're 17, 18, you like strapedoed a big bottle of aftershock. It really didn't do him very well. How big we talking? pretty fucking big right <laughs> it was it was ill-advised it wasn't a full <laughs> bottle yeah I, I can imagine there were quite a few people strapedoing drinks at that place that was a, that was a drunk crowd a very clearly drunk crowd at this point so the fact that they could keep them somewhat contained was admirable <laughs> on their part yeah and then they followed one of the things that's amazing about this is this is then immediately followed up by Roderick Strong attacking Kyle O'Reilly and demanding that they have a title match there that's a guerrilla warfare, no holds barred. So straight after this match, which is not paced at a level that tells you Kyle O'Reilly's going to do another match immediately afterwards, that is literally one second longer than this match. (sighs) Kyle O'Reilly's a very impressive guy. Also, another thing, did you know he's he's type 1 diabetic as well? I didn't, know. Yeah, yeah. So that's it. That's pretty a, amazing. Yeah, pretty incredible feat. So, would you want to watch more of 2014 Kyle O'Reilly, or is it instruct? Like I said, I love how he. One of the spots that was actually my my favorite spot in this, just for its quickness, its inventiveness, and its way that I loved how it was a cool kind of cut off spot where because Kyle O'Reilly was sort of working the heel in this match, I suppose in that he was controlling and grounding the more spectacular high flyer. Yeah. And he did trick uh, Ricochet into taking his hand when he couldn't do a nip-up. Mm. <laughs> so it was a kind of a comical heel. Sleazy Kyle, which was a character that he developed on a PWG show and sort of referenced over the years after that. There's a moment where Ricochet hits him with two sort of like the yes kicks, standing yes kicks, yeah. although Kyle has also stood. So it's che- high kicks to the chest, essentially. But as he's going for the third one, it's essentially a counter jab, a counter uppercut that that Kyle finds where he low kicks him on the on the calf. 
Yes, love that. That was a really, really cool, simplistic, understandable, clever, unexpected spot. Because so much of pro wrestling now, I can kind of see what's coming because I understand the grammars of wrestling and the positioning that people are doing and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I did not see that moment coming. And it's so quick and well done and executed and believable, clever, and just that weirdly, in all of this match, of all the space flying tiger drops and, you know, people's moonsaults, that was my favourite moment in the whole match. A low kick to the calf. Yeah, well, yeah, like like you say, I I like it because it just it like highlighted as well on top of all of that, just like the guy grounding him again, the the cleverness that was shown with the speed that he did it as well. It just like gives you a great impression of what that wrestler is. Well, that has been another episode of Let Me Tell You Something's Match of the Week. Do you have anything else you wanted to add before we got into all the socials and everything, Simon? Uh, no, no, not particularly. I do feel like we sort of became like the connection connections officers for Kyle O'Reilly <laughs> a little bit there. But that links to why I, I picked this match in particular is I, I, I just wanted to see more of a singles Kyle O'Reilly because in terms of the stage in which he's currently on, I feel an opportunity has been missed. That's a really, really good point to, to end this on. Do we have any social medias that you want people to get so that they can give you some more Kyle O'Reilly recommendations if they so wish, Simon? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of dollars Kyle gets paid when a O'Reilly's auto parts chant gets started. Nice. My name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A at the end of Reseda. And N, that's the third from last letter, in California. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd. If you put at gmail.com at the end of it, that's the email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. LMTYS is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. Now, assuming that there are no five-star matches coming from Dave Meltzer in the next Wrestling Observer, although, let's be honest with this, Simon... He liked a lot of what he saw on Full Gear. I think he has tipped his hand somewhat, yes. (laughs) Yes. But assuming there are no five-star matches in that one, or at least the next time that you get a match of the week from us, it's my pick. And I am going to All Japan Pro Wrestling in 2001, after the massive leaving of the sinking ship that was Noah... The promotion was scarce on talent and had didn't have a lot of options for their homegrown areas, but they rebuilt. They rebuilt by bringing in an old name and by bringing in a huge name from their longtime rival promotion. And they had what many people consider the match of the year for 2001. It was given the Wrestling Observer match of the year for 2001 and is the highest rated match of the Annus Mirabilis of 2001 for one of these wrestlers, a personal favourite and a previous match of the week subject, it's Kijimuto facing off against Genikiro Tenru for the All Japan Triple Crown Championship on the 8th of June 2001. Mm, so a little bit of a change of pace for you there. But there's nothing left to say at this point other than my name's Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a great week. Until the next week.